So let's be happy about differences. Let's be happy about diversity because that is that which makes this world worth living. And it is on differences and diversity that we make progress. Hey, Jess, how's it going? It's going well, Garish. And thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast, Destiny Benders. You are back for another episode. Garish, we are actually in the same time zone for the for first the time first ever. Time. Yes, for the first time. That was That is fun. And I'm glad that we got a chance to actually meet and spend some time yesterday and chat about all the wonderful things we want to do at Destiny Benders. I know, right? It was great to see you in London. Uh, we shared a yummy meal, we did a little bit of sightseeing, and we talked about the future. It was so fun. Thank You've you for You've been busy in London. A lot of work. I'd never actually been to London before. It's my first trip, so I'm really digging it. I can see why people love this city. Yeah. I can see myself living here. Really? Yeah, it is a great city. Well, so who do we have on the podcast today? Yeah, so today our guest is Dr. Osman Sen. He is the director of the West Africa Research Center. And he's a gentleman that I met while I was traveling in Senegal a few weeks ago. And so I'm really glad that we were able to get him on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Let's get started. Welcome back to Destiny Benders. Our guest today is Dr. Osman Sen, who is the director of the West African Research Center in Dakar, Senegal. Dr. Sen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, it's an honor and pleasure to share whatever experience I could share with you uh, and feed your audience for their better edification and my own. Dr. Sen, it's really lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us today. My first question to you is, can you Tell us a little bit about how you got started, perhaps how the West African Research Center got started, and a bit about, about your background. The West African Research Center started as really the idea from West African scholars, most of them in the social sciences, and particularly at our major university, University Shahanta Ethiopia in Dakar, and some of their colleagues, Africanists, in the United States, uh, in universities uh, such as Michigan State University, Howard University, and several others. And the idea was uh, to create an atmosphere or an environment which would help scholars in Africa, but Africanists uh, in the US and in other parts of the world, to create some sort of network, but also have an association and a place a location where they could conduct their research, research projects or send their students to do research projects. Uh, so as a consequence, the learned body, which is called the West African Research Association, WARA, was born. And immediately after that, uh, the center, West African Research Center, was born out of a meeting that was uh, between some of our representatives meeting the then president of Senegal, President Abdujouf, and asking him, please, uh, if he would be willing to grant us some diplomatic representation with an MOU and also maybe some location to stay in. And that's how it started. The premises you saw were not the first one. It was a very cramped area 
with hardly one small library and an office. And later on, they gave us uh, these premises you visited and which uh, are certainly a good place and a nice place to be in. So this was in the 90s, that was between 93 and 92 and 93. And uh, we've been operating since then. Well, it was definitely a, a highlight of my trip to Senegal to come visit work and have uh, our conversation and have you present on the history of Senegal and and also our lunch where we chatted about Bollywood and and, and all of that. So it was really, really fun. It's a beautiful location. Uh, but if I can ask you a little bit further on, on Jessica's question is maybe tell us about your journey. Uh, so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that journey of where you came from, how you ended up doing what you're doing? Now, that's an interesting question. I was born in my small hometown next to the Gambian border uh, in 1953. In, in 1961, I started school. Now, my starting school is a little bit of a story because when I went to school for the first time, you know, the headmaster came to our class and looked at all of us. And apparently, I seemed to be quite small and short. And he decided that that would not be my right year, that I would be deferred to the next year. My God, I went back home. But on my way back, because he had given me a little piece of paper, and on my way back, an elder brother who was already at school asked me, Usman, why, you, why are you going back home? I said, the headmaster asked me to go back home. And he said, did he tell you why? I said, he gave me this piece of paper. And he read it and said, hey, you're not going to go to school this year. It's going to be next year. Oh, my God. I went home and went and, you know, uh, clustered the mango tree, which was in the middle of the house and where we would spend the whole day and started crying crying my head off. I don't think I took lunch that day because imagining that I would be deferred for and wait for another year to go to school, you know, but hindsight, after all, when I look at my, where I've been, the, the, the years I did that or did this, I say, wait a minute, maybe it was a good decision. So I spent six years, graduated from primary school, and was to go to my secondary school. Normally, it was in the neighboring town. But then my, one of my elder brothers uh, finished his degrees. He was in uh, forestry in France and came back. And where he was working, his office and his house, it was in a park with so many trees. Uh, you will see a lot of trees. You will see animals, but hardly any human being. Uh, maybe the, uh, the foresters and uh, their staff working in there. And he asked my mom uh, if instead of going to the neighboring town, my mom would allow him to take me and transfer me to Dakar for my school, secondary school. That's when I, uh, you know, arrive in Dakar. And arriving in Dakar would be going to the movies. I was so small and so short that he would hold me on his knees for me to see the script. And another thing, that was the first time when I discovered that indeed you could eat tomatoes raw because with my mother, she, who was an excellent cook, and because of a meal she would be preparing, tomato would be cooked in one way or another. 
or process in one way or another, but getting your tomato, slicing it and eating it, that was the first time I discovered it. It was a series of discoveries which gradually connected me to the outside world. The village, the only thing you could know or the only thing you could see were things around you. The other parts of the world was through a radio set because my mommy liked to listen to the radio. Even at night, she she insisted on having the radio next to her. And she could have the radio until the wee hours in the morning. So you would listen, but then it was listening, not seeing. And it is in Dakar that I started really uh, getting to know the rest of the world, what my mother called the wilderness, because later on, when I uh, went back to the to my hometown and told her, Mom, I have a scholarship and I'm going to go to the Sorbonne in Paris. And she said, oh, what are you going to do in the wilderness? Because the wilderness, after all, is that part of the world which you do not know, which you will have to explore and discover, and which is going to be a very strange environment with strange things. So something which is not you, which is not familiar, which is alien, strange, after all, that is what is the wilderness. Because when some part of America was called wilderness by by those who discovered America, uh, it was wild for them, but not for the native Indians whose habitat it was. So it's just a matter of perspective. And indeed, from Dakar, I started discovering the wilderness before I graduated from the university, my BA and my MA. And before going to Paris, I went to the UK as a French uh, assistant in Derby, in Derby, in the Midlands. There too, fish and chips, plowman lunch, many other things which are part of a British civilization and uh, which you will learn in books and you will start discovering. It's just that plowman lunch, fish and chips in the old fashioned way. It's not, you know, they would have it so tasty and wrap it in a piece of newspaper paper. <laughs> no, really, literally, newspaper wrapping. And it was, of course, the days of uh, reggae with Bob Marley, Burning Spear, going to discotheque and spending the whole night dancing, uh, discovering also other nationalities, people coming from Kenya, people coming from Jamaica and even from India. And then going back to Dakar to complete my MA. And well, I was uh, honored with a scholarship from our president. You remember he was a very... Uh, very well-educated and learned person, and he insisted on having a scholarship, what he called excellence scholarship. And for high achievers, I don't know if I was, but I got the scholarship, went to France, completed a number of uh, French competitive exams for uh, for teaching, and then my PhD, what he called Troisième Cycle, and came back to Dakar and started teaching in the Department of English. And I taught in the Department of English until 2000, uh, 2000, until three years ago. 
And uh, I, I, I prefer to retire. They had offered me the possibility to, to stay for another three, year, three years. But then since we are having more and more PhD, young PhD, I prefer to step down. They're also an experience working with young Senegalese, uh, fielding particularly African-American literature, along with African literature, and uh, you know, helping them understand the similarities, the differences. But it was not simply the Department of English. The Department of English combined with frequent visit, academic visit in the United States as a visiting professor. Michigan State University, uh, the University of Minnesota, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Los Angeles, Loyola Marymount University, countless other universities where I would teach. And where after teaching, frequently, uh, the students, especially African-American students, would go to the administration and tell them, don't let Professor Sen go back home. Give him the documents so that he goes back home, get to the U.S. Embassy, get a visa and come back here, and you're going to hire him. And I don't know why, but each time I would say, no, let me go back to Senegal and I will come in two years time and teach again. It's not just because I am more patriotic than anybody else. No, no, no. Uh, that's not the point. I don't believe in brain drain. It's just that there was something there which were telling me go back. Now, in 2004, while I was still teaching at the university, uh, the people in charge of work and WARA coming from the United States approached me and said, Usman, we know we are, you are very busy because then I had my study abroad program here. I was renting space. And they said, do you think you could just uh, keep this center for us a few weeks, a few months, because the director has got to go back home to the U.S. and we need somebody here? I said, sure. No. And they said, we know you are very busy. That was that's why we were hesitating. I said, no problem. It's not going to be. I am used to multitasking. And uh, three months, they did not go come back with a new director. One year, they did not two years and have been sitting on this seat ever since. So maybe they appreciate the work I've been doing here. And to tell you the truth, I certainly love this job and I love this place and I am ready and prepared to continue serving. Uh, but I would, would not like to overstay. Uh, I would like to just serve as long as it requires, but then, you know, gracefully hand over to somebody else. So work is important in my life because at work, but also at the department, I am here doing what I like most, international education, receiving people, receiving young students, especially from the U.S. universities, a little bit confused because they are an untrodden ground, right? And then gradually seeping the culture, imbibing the culture, getting to know their whereabouts and feeling not local, but uh, feeling that they have adjusted to the local environment and greeting you in the local language. Those are things I like to do and also teaching. So uh, I, am, I am fine here and helping researchers and especially also making cultures meet and mingle, making cultures meet and mingle through my teaching American literature, African-American literature to Africans, projecting them or getting them deep in another culture 
all just showing some films, all just uh, discussing local literature to foreign scholars and students and making sure that they understand where the differences are, but having a positive perception of those differences because differences enrich us. Look, if sameness does not give us anything, sameness does not give us anything. If you have yourself in the mirror and you talk to your mirror reflection, what are you going to learn? Zero, nothing. Because it will be the same question replicated by your you know by your vis-a-vis, by your by your by your twin on the mirror and comment replicated. But yes and no, yes and no, or yes, you're right, I completely agree. You can have that that conversation with somebody who is not you. So let's be happy about differences. Let's be happy about diversity because that is that which makes this world worth living. And it is on differences and diversity that we make progress. Thinking back, Dr. Sen, to your time, you said you taught in the UK, you taught French, and we just talked about differences and how important differences are. And you went from Senegal to the UK to Derby. (laughs) Very different, very talking (laughs) about differences. That's very different from where one place you were and then where you went to. And you were, I guess, essentially, we have international educators who listen to our podcast who are um, instrumental in sending students from one country to another country to study. And you went from one country to another country to teach students. What was it like thinking back to your first days, stepping off the plane, your first couple of weeks in Derby, in the Midlands? How did you feel? What was it like for you? What were the thoughts running through your head? And how long did you think you were going to be there? I was there for a year. They asked me, please, to stay for another year, which was not initially planned. But that again, that was the first time I said no to staying longer in a foreign country. I said no because I wanted to come back to Senegal and uh, finish off my MA. Uh, But maybe also I said no because I was a little bit homesick, Uh, you know, getting back to see my mom and other things. But that is where I discovered that the brotherhood of man. My, My host father was called Jack. And my host mother was called Eileen. They were so warm, so maternal with me, making sure that I would eat, making sure that my bedding would be warm enough, making sure that I would get back home safe and treating me as if I was part of a family. And at no time did I feel uncomfortable because of any differences, race or anything. No, uh, the only part where I felt uncomfortable was this one. Oh, call me Jack. I am, yeah, I am here. You're going to stay with us. Call me Jack. I look at him. He was the age of my father. Somebody my father's age. How can I call him by his first name? That was impossible. I was not used to it. And I explained to them. I said, look, I come from Senegal, Africa. And anybody who is the age of our mother or father, we immediately call father, mother, or uncle. 
How can I bring myself to calling you by your first name? They laughed and said, well, you're going to call me Jack. And I, I took days before getting used to call him Jack because each time I thought about Jack, I would just a little bit shrink inside and said, you cannot do that, right? So uh, uh, those are things which were, which were unfamiliar and which I adjusted to. In the end, it proved to be a very, very nice experience, which I liked a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, really, I left behind uh, some good some good friends. But that was my first uh, experience outside of Senegal. And it brought me a lot of expansion of my human experience, uh, discovering difference and adjusting, seeing snow fall from the sky for the first time ever. <laughs> But, you know, I, I know what you mean about calling an older person your parents' age by their first name, because, you know, I'm from India, and our culture is to just call them uncle or auntie. And so uh, that must have been <laughs> challenging for you. Yeah. But I yeah. want to ask you about something. When we were in your office and when you did the session on the uh, history of Senegal, in that presentation, you said something that stuck with me. And I yeah. want you to expand on that. You said... Listen more to things than human beings. Tell tell us more about that. Yes, uh, you 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 listen more to things than beings. It is from the from a poet from the po- a poem uh, which is called Souffle, whispers, whispers, by one of our writer Biragujo. The idea being, we are in a world which also is the realm of other entities, other beings, other essences. They may not be visible, but they are as real as you are. Because if elderly people who were good in the community die, they become ancestors. That's why in many African communities, when you have some celebrations, you need to offer libation or part of a meal to the ancestors. Other, under other circumstances also, babies uh, who die with no reason can come back in the shape of, or when people die, they come back in the shape of a baby, the baby looking too much like the grandfather, you say it's Baba come back. But apart from this reincarnation, there are other spirit and there is the understanding that Everything that is on earth is endowed with will, is endowed with spirit, is endowed with life. A tree is not simply a tree. A tree is something that breathes, that lives, and you owe respect, and you owe some rights to the tree. That is why we can be afraid of those huge trees with big shades and so many leaves. Uh, some people would believe there are spirit living in that tree and you have no right cutting it in the ocean. All those creatures in the ocean, the ocean itself, you know, is anima, has got anima, has got a spirit, a soul, animism. Animism posits that we human beings are no atlases holding the globe on our shoulders and are so powerful. No, no, no. We should humble ourselves and understand that this world is not ours exclusively. So 
much as you listen to people, you should be listening also to the things, to the truth, to the words of the other entities which have got the right to live and to be considered as denizen of the earth in the same way as you. I always like to say that if we could simply pay attention to the other dimension of life or to the other things and to the other uh, realities living uh, on this earth along with us, we should not have COP, COP21, right? Uh, climate change and everything. If we paid obeisance and respect to the other entities, we would not be where we are. And we are trying to catch them now, say, hey, less gas, less this, less this. But we did it at the, at the, at the beginning because we lived under the illusion that we can handle everything. Everything is under control and we control everything. We were under the illusion that we were the superman, the superhero, just like Nietzsche, Nietzsche would like us to be, you know, the he-man. Uh, we realized that we are no he-man or he-women or she-women. Uh, we are less than that, and we should be accommodating the other dimension of life. If we did, if we had done that, we would not be where we are, which means this. I think life, wherever you have it, in whichever way you live it, has got a spiritual dimension we should not push aside. Because if you do it, you are in a vacuum which makes you absolutely disillusioned. And if you are disillusioned, disgruntled, and dis whatever, maybe you end up hanging yourself. You may do it metaphorically. Be in a situation where life doesn't have any meaning. You know, we can avoid that. And yes, spirits roam around us. Spirit are around us. Other entities, other dimension of living are around us. It is not because we don't see them. We say seeing is believing, but not seeing should also be believing because our eyes are not powerful enough to be able to see every entity. There are some entities which are there, but invisible. I know we're short on time, but I do want to ask you a question before we start wrapping up uh, our chat. You know, you've been in international education for so long and and done some amazing work uh, at the WARC and and leading all these students and uh, researchers, etc. As you look ahead in the next five years or so, where do you see international education going? Uh, Obviously, it's a very important uh, need in the world because international education really bridges cultures and gaps. So what's your take on it? Where are we going? What would you like to see happen more in international education? There was a target set, I think, uh, by the official in charge of education in the United States uh, to see to it that by this particular time, at least half of the U.S. student should have experienced study abroad international education. I don't know. I don't think the goal is rich. I, uh, and I know the University of Minnesota is very, very active in international education, but the goal has not been rich yet. But I think the best in higher education is international education. And the best in whatever any world entities are doing is international education. International education should not be the concern of one university. It should be the concern of actually international uh, organization. 
whatever they are trying to do in the world, that could be improved by international education. Unfortunately, international education costs a lot of money and not many people or many institutions can afford. It is, a, we talk about thousands of dollars to be invested for each individual participant. So it costs, as they say in the United States, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. It is, because we, it is because we ignore each other. It is because we don't know each other. Or it is because we know each other by hearsay. We know each other through the false lens of a television. Or we know each other in the classroom, but we ignore each other. You know, uh, this student coming here, spending weeks and weeks and weeks with Senegalese host families, seeing how people live together, how they interact, getting to know the values, getting to know our celebrations, our festivals, our religion, our principles, our humanness and our humaneness. After that, well, you construct a positive picture of who the Senegalese are. I have never seen any of the students saying, oh, actually I came, but I hate your country and your people. Never, ever. So study abroad, international education is something which really decision makers in this world should consider funding and funding heavily. Long live international education, long live diversity, and long live that mind which is poised and set to taste and enjoy diversity and make of a world one big happy family. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. I know you probably have a couple more minutes left. We do want to kind of wrap up on a lighter note. We'd love to, one of these days, I'd love to come back and enjoy another Cafe Tuba with you and we can chat more about some of those things. Uh, but as we wrap up, we always like to do a quick fire round of questions just to kind of end on a lighter note. So my question to you is, of all the Bollywood movies you've seen, which one's uh, your favorite or do you remember a favorite actor? Uh, yeah, uh, Dalmendra. Dalmendra, yes, yeah. Sashi Shashi Kapoor. Shashi Kapoor. And, and, and the actor who used to play Dara Singh, Dara. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> That's right, that's awesome. Dara would take, would take the Empire State Building and say he's going to just to make it collapse. Yes, Dara Singh. Dara, yes. you know. Oh, Dr. Sene, thank you so much for spending my time pleasure. with us today on the podcast. Anytime. It's been an absolute delight hearing your stories, learning from you. I've really, really enjoyed this one. Absolutely, Dr. Sen. Thank you again for staying late in the office to chat with us. Have a wonderful evening and a great weekend. And I'm sure we'll be seeing each other again soon. My pleasure. Okay. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) You've been listening to Destiny Benders. Next week on the podcast, we have Joan Liu, who is the founder of Second Chance, a nonprofit that's doing great work to change lives. Listen in. Listen in.